Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Just like there's a mitzvah to believe in God, there's an additional mitzvah, as expressed in the Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, to believe in the unity of God. And Maimonides explains what that means is not only to believe that there's only one God and that God has no partners, that there aren't any other gods or powers or forces in the universe, but it means something much more profound. It means something much deeper. What it means is that God is an absolute unity. Unlike ourselves, which is very difficult for us to imagine and to fathom because we can only extrapolate from our own personal experience. We can relate to the world based on our own experience, our own knowledge. Well, our knowledge, we are a composite. We are made up of many different parts. We're not an absolute, pure unity. We are made up of components. The body is made up of many limbs, many components, but even our soul is really made up of different components. Take knowledge, for example. Knowledge is not a pure an absolute, undifferentiated unity. Knowledge is made up of three components. The person who knows, the intellectual ability, and then the information. You can separate the three. You have one without the other. You can have a person go through his whole life and not, and not pick up the information. The information is, is independent. And then you have the mind, the ability to understand, to think, to comprehend, to grasp a concept. That can also be unused. And then you have the person. It's only when a person learns and studies that a person assimilates and absorbs information that they merge. The person, through his mind, merges with the information and he absorbs the information. But even after the information is absorbed within the person, you can still break it down. It's still three components. It's not an absolute unity. It's like a knot. You take three strings and you tie it together. But it's not an absolute unity. Although once you know information, once you know knowledge, you know something, you could never unknow it. You know, once you understand 2 plus 2 is 4, you could never understand otherwise, ever. Once you've assimilated and you've absorbed the concept, you get the concept, you get it. You have it. You can't, even under torture, they can force you to say that 2 plus 2 is 6, but they can't force you to understand it. It's impossible. Once you get it, you get it. You understand it, you understand it. So it, it is as far as a human being goes, it's the closest we get to being unified, that when something becomes unified with you, when you absorb and it becomes inseparable from you, becomes a part of you. Once it becomes a part of you, you can't lose it. You can't separate it from yourself. It's not like clothes. Clothes you can put on, you can take off. Like thought. I can think whatever I want. I can think 2 plus 2 is 5. I can think 2 plus 2 is 6. It's just a thought. It's a clothes. It's external. I can change it. Understanding is very internal. Once you understand something, it's as, as internal as you can get. Well, you've internalized it. You've absorbed it. It has become part of you. I, I can no longer remove it. But still, it's an external knowledge. It's made up of components. Which is why our knowledge is... Objective, detached. We can know something, and yet it doesn't affect us. It doesn't inspire us, doesn't move us, doesn't change us. The person remains indifferent. I know this bit of information, and so what? So I know it, so I, I have another piece of information. I store it away in my mind, 
and it makes no difference to me. So the person remains totally unaffected by the knowledge. So even though you've absorbed it and you've assimilated it and you've internalized the knowledge, but it hasn't been internalized by the person. The personality, the character, the person is very detached and, and actually the intellectual prides himself in his de- detachment. The very assumption of intellect is detachment, objectivity, observing from a distance, impartial. And I'm just learning information. And it's just interesting, intellectual curiosity. But does it change me? Does it affect me? And does it make a difference if it affects me or not? Am I less brilliant if it doesn't affect me? Will the world consider you less brilliant? If you understand and you make a medical breakthrough and a medical discovery that smoking is bad for you, you'll get a Nobel Prize, whether you smoke or not. What does, have to, what does one have to do with the other? You may behave in a way that's totally contradictory to, to, your, to your understanding. So, does that make you less of a scientist? Does that make you less of a professional? Less of a genius? What does one have to do with the other? So the whole approach of intellect, of the university of intellect, and the mind, is very cool, very detached. I, I'm not taking it to heart. I don't take it to heart. I'm an enlightened person. I can step back. I can see the bigger picture. I can look at it from a very detached point of view. So you see that intellect, you can, it's not an absolute unity. The person knows the information, learns the information, and yet it remains totally um, remote from him. It doesn't affect you, doesn't change you. This is, uh, this is our typical knowledge. This is our conscious knowledge. So the knowledge is not an absolute unity. The person is one place, the mind is another place, the information, and... As, as unified as they become, as absorbed as it becomes, it still remains, they still remain far apart. But God's knowledge is different. God's knowledge, you cannot separate God's knowledge from, from God himself. So he's saying it's difficult for us to imagine, to picture, to relate to God's type of knowledge. Because we don't experience it. This is a very, very difficult concept to really picture in your mind. You're trying to picture, trying to relate to. It's hard to relate to something that you don't have in your experience. Try describing to a blind person what, what sight is all about. It's impossible. He, he, he doesn't have, he never, he's never seen in his life. You can't understand something you don't have. Try imagining a sixth sense or a seventh sense. Right? You have eyes, you have ears, you have nose. Imagine another sense. It's impossible. Impossible. In all your science fiction, all your imagination, you can picture a thousand years, <laughs> Martian years, a thousand eyes, you know, but you can't picture something you don't have. Now, is God limited to five senses? God could have created ten senses. Could have created a hundred senses. Could have created a thousand senses. Our whole universe is so narrow, is so tiny to God. But, but this is our boundary. We can't think beyond our boundary. We can't even imagine anything beyond our bound. Our world begins and ends with the five senses. We can't imagine anything beyond. So in the image of God, then... That he'll explain in the next chapter. That since God emanates from within himself God's intellect, and God's emotions, and God's speech, and God's thought, and God's action, so too we, that's our structure. Our personality and our character 
has the very same structure, just like we talk about God's willpower and God's pleasure and God's wisdom and understanding and knowledge and God's emotions and God's love and strength and compassion and, and God's uh, communication and relationship to out, others outside of himself, so to speak. So we have the same structure. So we're created in God's image that this is our personality. We also have the three minds. We have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. We have, we have the heart. But of course, you can't compare our mind to God's mind. Exactly. That's the point. You can't compare. When you say you were created in God's image, it doesn't mean we're God. You can't compare our mind to God's mind. Our mind, the conscious mind, is not like God's mind. God's mind is an absolute unity, a pure, unadulterated, absolute unity. And our mind is, is absolutely not a unity. The opposite. Right? Usually when you start judging things by the details, you lose the experience of the world. But the Rebbe, when you see him speaking, he can take the detail and reflect through that the overall experience. He can overcome that separation or actually make the experience even bigger than what it is. As we get deeper and deeper into reality, in modern physics, the cutting edge of modern physics, you know, they're beginning to understand a lot of these concepts. The New York Times magazine a few years ago had a front page cover that modern physics is beginning to sound more and more like the Kabbalah. 150 years ago, the so-called great Jewish historians were embarrassed with the Kabbalah. They were ashamed of the Kabbalah. Look at this, this, I mean, I wouldn't even use the words they used. This, this embarrassment, the superstition. You know, we're living in the enlightenment, we're living in the you know, logic, the light of science, and here you have all this mystical you know, not, you know, nonsense and all this, this you know, backward and un- irrational. Today, <laughs> after Einstein, after quantum mechanics, they're beginning to understand what the Kabbalah and the Zohar as written thousands of years ago. Because the Kabbalah was the cutting edge. They understand all this language, the language of paradoxes, the language of matter as energy. And what we're discussing, there's no separation, but they could, there's no separation between subjective and objective. And the whole idea that the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That on the deepest level, the world is not just a composite of like a technical of, of components put together. But the truth is that there's a whole. There's a holistic understanding where, where the, there's one dynamic whole. And the details just reflect this whole. Instead of working your way from the bottom up, from the technicality and the details, working your way to the whole, it's just the opposite. There is a point, a singular point, a whole. And this whole, dynamic whole, which is greater than the sum total of its parts, reflects itself in, in all its components, and that's why all the components are interrelated and interconnected. And the best analogy for that is the human body. The human body is, is made up of many compo- components. It's a composite, 248 limbs, 365 veins. But if you look deeper, you realize that the person is really one entity. When you walk down the street, you feel that you're a bag of bones and you don't feel yourself. A healthy person doesn't even feel himself. You're one entity, one dynamic entity. 
And that one entity expresses itself through the mind and the heart and eyes and ears and nails and everything that it's all part. And therefore, the body is all interrelated and interconnected. Every last organ is connected with every other organ. The same blood courses through the whole entire body, from the brain down to the toenail. It's all interrelated and interconnected. Your toenail hurts, your, your mind can't think. It's all connected because it's not about separate entities that just are put together or tied together. It's not, from, from the whole perspective, there's no separate entity. There's only one entity. There's only one reality. It's not about the heart or the liver or the gut. Or this. There's only one reality. There's one entity. And each one is expressing that entity in its own unique way. But they're all together. They're all one. They're absolutely one. The heart and the liver and the gut. And that's why the body works so harmoniously. Because it's really one entity. And the same is true with the Jewish people. The Jewish people is one soul that expresses itself in 14 million bodies. Each Jew with his own flavor, his own unique way. Just like each organ in the body has their own unique purpose and function. A heart is a heart. A heart is not a liver. And every Jew has their own unique function. But the truth is, on the deepest level, we're all one and the same. It's, there's only one entity, there's one, there's one person, one soul. And that soul expresses itself in all, in all these different... So, the truth is, as we get closer to the time of Mashiach, even the scientist in the laboratory is coming to all these truths. That is one of the signs of that we're living in the Messianic era. That even the scientist in the laboratory is coming to all these truths that the Torah has been teaching us for thousands of years. The unity, the underlying unity of everything. That the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That in the deepest level, this whole dichotomy between subjective and objective, the knower, the knowledge, the information, all breaks down. There is no dichotomy. There is no separation. There's an absolute unity, an inherent unity. And that therefore, every bit of information that you learn or you're aware of has to change you and affect you. Because if the truth is, on the deepest level, there is no separation. So you can't just be aware of a bit of information and go back to sleep. That bit of information has to inspire you, has to change you, has to challenge you, has to wake you up, has to affect you. It's not just abstract. That whole notion of abstraction is old-fashioned, is outdated, is superficial. The whole scientific notion, the classical scientist, classic science, the science of the 19th century, in which most schools are still stuck in, that whole approach of, of detachment and objectivity is out the window. When you get down to the real truth, you can no longer separate between the knower and the known. You have to, you, we are one. And, and, um, and therefore the Torah gives us the implications of all these truths. If that's the truth, then it has to change your life. That's why the Torah is called Torah. Torah is called a guidebook, a teaching. It's not just an intellectual exercise, stimula stimulating exercise. The Torah, everything you learn in the Torah has to be transformed into a guidance. How is this going to guide me? How is this going to teach me? How is this going to inspire me? How is it going to move me and change me and affect me? That's why the Torah is truth. The Torah is holy. We kiss a Torah with reverence. It's holy. It's godly. It's divine. It's God's mind. It's God's mind and God's mind. There's no separation between knower and knowledge and information. They become one. And that's the effect the Torah has on us.
That's why the Torah is demanding. You can't just learn Torah from a detached point of view. Torah has to change you. Torah demands. So what are you going to do about this information? How are you going to change it? How is it going to change your life? Change, ultimately change your behavior. So this is the type of knowledge that as we get closer to the Messianic era, this perspective is becoming much more available to us. And that's why the Rebbe said, if you open your eyes, you'll see that we're living in the Messianic era because the whole world is coming to this, to this level, level of knowledge. The inseparable unity of all things. You know, now we know if you, if you take an atom and you divide it in half, and one atom, one half is one end of the world, the other half is the other end of the world, whatever you do with one half of the atom automatically will happen to the other half. Thousands of miles apart. Because they're inseparable. It's not, it's not components. A machine, you break in half, you take the machine in one place, you take the other half in another place, I tinker with this half, it has no effect in the other half. That's on the external world that we live in, the external superficial world that we live in, the materialistic world. But when you go deeper to the truth, on the atomic level, there's no separation. One half is connected with the other half. They're inseparable. So it's a much deeper, it's a, much, it's a whole different way of, of understanding reality. And all of this is being exposed today. All of this is emerging. And not just in the synagogue, in the holy books. It's emerging in the scientific lab. So if you realize the times we're living in, we're living in a very, very special time, very special age. While most scientists are still stuck in the, in, in the dinosaur era, in the classical 19th century materialistic evolutionary stance, which is so outdated, it's not even funny. Modern physics is galloping so far ahead and it's coming closer and closer to the truths of the Torah, the truths that the Zohar and the Kabbalah has been teaching us for thousands of years. And Maimonides says this is very difficult for us to relate to because it's not, it's not the way we work. It's not the way our conscious knowledge works. He doesn't say it's impossible to relate because it is the way our subconscious knowledge works, which we really access. We all have it inside, but we really access it, at least not deliberately and consciously. But occasionally we do have that experience when there's knowledge that like emerges not from the brain abstract it's almost a knowledge that, that emerges from our very being from our kishkes something stirs inside of you and suddenly yes I know it and I always knew it it's, it's a knowledge that changes you it's a knowledge that, that's etched into your being it comes from within you it inspires you it's almost like a revelation Something unexpected, something that comes from a very deep down inside of you, very deep place. And you feel it, you can experience it, because it's a part of you. It's not abstract. It's not just the knowledge my head knows. My whole being knows. And you can physically feel it, because it touched, it touched your very being. Your kishkes. Gut. Your gut. It's a gut knowledge. We call it gut knowledge. It's, it's your whole being, your whole body knows it. It's not just, it's not just abstract intellectual that's a knowledge where you can't separate between subjective objective the observer and the information because they're 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 one and the same 
the information is not something external, something outside of you. It's like comes from within you. The information, you become totally unified with the information. And this is the level that all the Kabbalists strive for. <coughs> what the Kabbalists strive for to achieve, they try to achieve the level of Dveikut. Dveikut means where you become totally unified with the object. Is where the person becomes one with the object. You can't separate. You become, it becomes like part of you. And you lose any sense, of, any sense of, of, of separation. It's a level where a person cares very deeply about something. Because you, you have become one with the object. And that's the goal, the aspiration of the Kabbalists. That they try to reach the level of Dveikut where not only they have a philosophical understanding of God or they have an emotional reaction to God, but they're trying to achieve something much, much deeper than that. They're trying to become one with God. They could. Inseparable. An expression. As a light is connected to its source. Inseparable from its source. And that's a very, very deep level of awareness where something stirs very deep inside of your soul of your very being, touches your very core and essence, and really gets to you, deep down. That's a type of knowledge where you cannot separate. You can no longer separate in the knower, the mind, and the information, what you're knowing. They actually, it's like a pure, they become like a pure, absolute, simple unity. We're inseparable, you don't know where one begins and one ends. And it's a knowledge that comes from yourself. There's no separation between subjective, objective, you and the object. As the modern physics knows, has discovered, that when you go to the deepest level of reality, on the level of the electromagnetic level, on the atomic level, you can no longer separate between the observer and the observed. The scientist who's observing, the atom will actually change, change and have, have an effect on the atom. You, you can't separate. On that level, there's no separation. There's artificial division between the person who's watching the experiment and the object breaks down. On the deepest level, they're totally inseparable. The object and the subject become totally one and the same. They all become inseparable and part of one whole, which is very difficult for our rational mind to understand. When, when, they, when the scientists discovered this breakthrough, it blew their mind. Because it totally, it totally revolutionized the way we look at reality. It goes against, it's counterintuitive. Because the way we experience reality, there's objectivity, and I, sta- I look back, and I stand back, and I watch, and I observe, and I'm intellectual, and I'm on it, objective. But this whole, that whole notion had to be thrown out the window. Because when you go deeper, it's no longer viable. You can no longer separate between the person, the observer, and the observed. They become absolutely one. They're part of the same. And this is our subconscious level of knowledge and awareness. Our own inner atomic level of reality, which most of us don't access. Most of us are not even aware it exists, but it is there, nevertheless. So he doesn't say it's impossible for us to understand. He says it's difficult for us to understand. Because in our ordinary life, we don't usually experience knowledge on that level, awareness on that level. But if we use our mind, or we can try to picture and imagine, we could imagine that God's mind is different than our mind. When we say that God knows, it's not like our knowledge. 
God and his knowledge and his awareness and, and what he knows is all one. Because everything is created from within God. And therefore God knows himself and he knows everything. There's no separation. There's no outside. It's not, any, it's not an external knowledge. God knows himself and therefore he knows everything that's happening in this world. Down to the amoeba. Every movement in this world. Every thought that we have. Everything that we say. Everything that we speak. Our emotions. Our react- God knows and feels everything. Just like a person feels himself. You feel every bone in your body. You feel a scratch on your pinky. You feel immediately because it's you. So too, God feels and knows everything that's happening in the entire universe simultaneously. All our thoughts, all our inner emotions, all our inner struggles, down to the amoeba, every, every creature's struggle, whatever it is, God knows and feels everything to the tiniest detail. There's nothing, because it all comes from within God. God knows himself, and therefore he knows everything. So the type, God's knowledge is, is different than our knowledge. God's knowledge is not external. You can't separate between God and the, the, his, his mind, so to speak, and the knowledge, the information. So Ramanam says it's very difficult for us to relate because we human beings were not created that way on a conscious level, on our ordinary daily level. Deep mystics who delve very deep into, into the soul, delve deep into their subconscious, or modern physicists who go very deep down into reality, they are open to this whole different type of knowledge and knowing and, and this whole reality. But for most people, it's like speaking Chinese. They have no idea what you're talking about. There's the knower and there's the knowledge and there's the, and, and the mind and then there's the information, the knowledge. Three separate components that unite and merge, but not an absolute merge. It's not an absolute unity. The person remains unmoved and untouched by knowledge. We're all very rich in knowledge. If we lived up to half of what we knew, <laughs> the world would be a much better place. But the knowledge doesn't affect us. In schools, we're exposed to the best information. Cream of the crop. But does it affect us? Does it change us? Does it inspire us? I mean, what, does the, what does one have to do with the other? Information doesn't. Because it's external. It's detached. It's objective. But God's knowledge is different. God and his knowledge and what he knows is, are one and the same. And therefore, when we say that the Jewish soul is rooted in God's mind, in God's wisdom, like a child. A child is rooted in the brain of his father. The sperm comes from the brain of the father through the spine and, and then it materializes in the sperm. But it all comes from the brain of the father. So too... Um, when we say that the Jewish soul is rooted, so to speak, in God's wisdom, in the supernal wisdom, it's not just God's wisdom. But God and His wisdom are inseparable, are one and the same, and therefore, what we're saying, in other words, is that the Jewish soul is rooted in God's essence. We are literally a piece of the divine essence. Every Jew has literally inside of himself a piece of the divine essence. That's the definition of the Jewish soul. That's what makes us Jewish. Each and every one of us carries within us a piece of the divineness. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.